Hello again, good evening and welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. Last Monday marked the 75th anniversary of the Nakba, or catastrophe, when three quarters of a million Palestinians were driven from their homes by Zionist terrorists. Many Palestinians were massacred and none of them have ever been allowed to return to their homes that were stolen by Jewish settlers. In the lead up to the creation of Israel, which was established at the expense of Palestine, the Zionists engaged in a ruthless terror campaign. But their savagery wasn't just directed against the Palestinian people. They also committed numerous acts of barbarism against British soldiers. The Stern Gang and the Ergen were notorious, and these thugs were absorbed into the Israeli occupation forces in 1948. But the Nakba isn't just a one-off crime against humanity. Zionist atrocities perpetrated against the Palestinian people have continued every single year ever since. And Israel is in breach of numerous UN resolutions too. But the international communities just stood by and allowed this rogue state to literally get away with murder. But while most international political leaders offer their tacit and some even offer their overt approval to the Israeli regime, international public opinion is increasingly turning against Israel's apartheid project. And the Palestinian resistance is becoming more and more effective as well. So what does the future hold for the Zionist entity? Will Palestine eventually be free from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea? I believe it will. But joining us on Resistance TV tonight to consider those questions is Palestine action activist Ronnie Barkin. Ronnie is an Israeli dissident. He's also a lifelong human rights campaigner and a dedicated opponent of the settler colonial ideology of Zionism. And Ronnie is currently awaiting trial for disrupting the Israeli murder machine. Good evening, Ronnie. Welcome to the show again. How are you, mate? Good evening. Doing well. Great. Good. No, we're very pleased to have you back on the show again. And uh, I think you've just uh, returned, actually, where you've been speaking about uh, the Nakba, haven't you? Up in uh, Scotland and uh, and over in uh, Paris as well. Just tell us how how that went, if you if you would, Ronnie. Uh, so it was my first visit to Scotland. Fantastic people, fantastic landscape, uh, organizing uh, around the Nakba. Seventy five years of ongoing Nakba. Uh, the reception was. Uh, uh, very impressive and and uh, yeah, I've been speaking uh, throughout like in four different places and then moved on to speak in Paris where we had uh, a Nakba march which was uh, very impressive and uh, full of energy, good vibes uh, because we have to remember that along with marking of the catastrophe uh, the Nakba is not only a historical event, it is an ongoing process and it is also used to to understand not only the the basically the tragedy but also the way forward and uh, so so it was really a galvanizing uh, moment uh, i think throughout the world uh, i've experienced it in scotland and in france yeah i mean that seems to me uh, ronnie from what you're saying there a sort of uh, manifestation of what i was saying in the introduction there where political leaders are totally out of step with public opinion with their electorates. And as I was saying, it seems to me that international public international public opinion is is increasingly in support of the Palestinian people. I mean, would you say that's that's a fair assessment from your experience yes. of your Yes, I yeah. would definitely agree with that. Um first of all, I am just seeing 
you know, the sentiment on the street while marching uh, to mark 75 years of ongoing Nakba. Uh, there was a lot of support by uh, people who were standing in traffic because we were, we were basically taking over the streets uh, and right. they were uh, showing their solidarity with their horns. Uh, right. And uh, like uh, honking the horns and then like really expressing solidarity and people even just who were just passing by joined in on the demonstration and I saw the same uh, pretty much happening also in footage that I've uh, received from Canada and uh, from the UK and elsewhere. So no, this is very encouraging. Yeah. And the other thing is, and uh, also I talked about that while I was in Scotland, how the new government uh, is not so new, uh, like. Uh, like Herzl's uh, Altneuland, you know, it is like the new old government, uh, yeah. basically. Uh, but it does represent one thing that is different, which is uh, that it is far less ashamed of its racism and supremacy. It yeah. is very much, its supremacy, racism, also fascism is out in the open and it is for the world to see. And now the world is experiencing or witnessing uh, the yeah. truth of Israel. And that puts all sorts of Zionist organizations uh, basically on their uh, on the defensive. Even uh, uh, rabid organizations like the uh, Board of Deputies, for example, or or yeah. ACL and so on, they are issuing apologetic uh, statements about this new government. Yeah. So, so yes, the world is observing, starting to observe what we have been, what we should have been discussing all along for the past seventy-five yeah. years, which is. The NACO, which is, as I mentioned, not only a historical event, it is an ongoing process happening yeah. every moment of every day. And also, the NACO is not just about a, a, basically the foundation of the creation of that Zionist race state. That race state is fundamentally a, a dependent on maintaining the NACBA. Yeah. Without yeah. maintaining the ethnic racial supremacy, which means the denial of Palestinians, the denial of their identity, the denial of their culture, and the denial of pretty much every right of the Palestinians, certainly every national right, but also, and most importantly, the denial of the return of those refugees. Half of the Palestinian population are refugees in forced exile for, to this day. This is part and parcel of the maintaining of that Zionist race state. One cannot exist without the other. No. You know, when you was in uh, in Paris, uh, uh, Ronnie, uh, was, there, was there any, or indeed Scotland for that matter, was there any disruption from Zionists? I mean, and, and certainly I'm thinking in terms of Europe, some of the, uh, the kind of legislation and the direction of travel that the political leaders have taken and are sort of seemingly trying to do their best to suppress support for the Palestinian cause, um, you know, things like moving against the uh, uh, boycott, divestment and, uh, and sanctions uh, uh, campaign. I mean, did, did you experience uh, anything like that on the streets or any of the meetings that you attended? So uh, I haven't experienced uh, much disruption, actually. There were a handful of Zionists who were quite pathetic in their, uh, uh, you know, attempts to disrupt. But... Uh, yeah. Say the authorities, the police even, uh, were allowing the uh, the march to carry on. Uh, I heard that the same uh, uh, also happened in other places. Not so in Germany. In Germany, they are no. quite literally arresting people for uh, waving a Palestinian flag. Uh, so Germany, again, has learned very little or has learned absolutely nothing from its horrid past. 
uh, and uh, to this state is blindly supporting another state that is based on that distinction between the Ubermensch and the Ubermensch and super and Untermensch. Um, so, but other basically, than the case of, no, go on, carry on, carry on, on, of Germany, I think that um, there seems to be uh, some sort of an understanding uh, that Palestinian voices uh, should be heard, should be allowed to express themselves. Now, I don't know where this is. Uh, you know where this is leading, but uh, I would, I assume that this also has to do with the changing climate within uh, Israel itself. I mean, we know about the uh, the masses demonstrating inside Israel. You know, you have the two types of Zionists uh, bickering, kind of fighting uh, with each other. Uh, this has very little to do with Palestinians and everything to do with no, of course, yeah. ways for them to maintain racial supremacy. But uh, I think that when this kind of uh, is in the news, I guess that this also allows us to to uh, have more of a voice. I think that especially now, marking 70, 75 years to the ongoing Nakba and with Israel uh, basically exposing itself for what it really is, it is really important that we make every effort to point the finger at what matters. And what matters is not the occupation of 67 per se. It's not this or that faction within the Israeli government saying one thing or another, but it is about pointing the finger at the entire system of ethnic cleansing and occupation and apartheid and pillage and settler colonialism and on and on. Yeah. Which yeah. basically in one word is what we call the Nakba, the ongoing yeah. uh, assault against the Palestinian yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, Germany's position, Ronnie, seems to me to be perverse. I mean, their sort of collective guilt for the horrors of the Holocaust, it seems they are expecting the, you know, the Palestinian people to pay the price for that. I mean, how do they square that? I mean, I don't know if you've been to Germany and spoken to, to German, yes, yes. I, German public. I've spent, like, I've spent three years in Germany, um, not, not recently, but uh, some years ago. And I moved to Germany exactly because I felt, I felt that I could be the most effective there because... Germany, in my view, is the most Zionist place. I mean, it is the last standing bastion for Zionism. And it is so Zionist that not only uh, that uh, in some newspapers, for example, journalists are actually in their war contract, they're obligated to not criticize the state of Israel. It is so so Zionist not only that there is a wall-to-wall -wall support in the, in the parliament, in the Bundestag, uh, saying that BDS equals anti-Semitism, Every single member of parliament, with no exception, voted saying uh, that BDS equals anti-Semitism. There were three uh, motions uh, that, were, that were voted on at the time, and each party, each each political group, with their in their uh, uh, in their language, uh, basically stated what I just uh, mentioned. So all of them were trying to criminalize BDS and the struggle for Palestinian rights and the struggle against. Uh, uh, Viol Israeli violations of international law. But even above all of that, there is something that in Germany is known as the Staatsraison, the reasoning of the state, which is above any law, which pretty much says that um, the role of post-World War II Germany is to protect the existence of the state of Israel, no matter what. Yeah, crazy. And this, unfortunately, applies both to the politicians and to the general public. It is oh, really? very difficult to criticize the very existence of the state of Israel. And right. for most people, it is also difficult 
for them to hear any criticism of the policies of the state. But I do mention the difference between the criticism of the character of the existence of the state and the criticism of the policies because I am not interested in criticizing the policies. I'm interested in pointing the finger at what really matters, which is that the entire Zionist race state is built as a race state, is yeah. built on the basis of racial supremacy. And the only way forward is to abolish that system of supremacy and terror and subjugation and to bring about something else that is based on the exact opposite values, meaning based on equality, multiculturalism, and respect for minorities. No, indeed, indeed, indeed. That's a very, very important. But I mean, uh, you know, we talk about to Germany, but of course, Britain is complicit, isn't it, in, in, in the nut bar? I mean, from right from the Balfour Declaration to the present day, isn't it? I mean, what's your take on, you know, on Britain's role? Yeah. So Lord Balfour, the known anti-Semite Balfour, uh, issued this horrible uh, Balfour Declaration. But even then, that Balfour Declaration still uh, acknowledged the rights of the Palestinians who were living in what was supposed to be the quote-unquote Jewish state. So it the, those people who were establishing the so-called Jewish state were supposed to respect the rights of the local indigenous Palestinians. Same applies to the UN partition plan of 1947, where more than half of the land was given to less than half of the population. Most of them were newcomers to the land, colonialists who had very little land in their possession. Even then in the UN partition plan, it states that the rights of, the, uh, of all the people of that land, the so-called Jewish state have to be respected regardless of race, uh, religion, gender, and so on. Uh, but this doesn't sit with sit well or doesn't it cannot be acknowledged at all by the Zionist state because the Zionist state, Zionism as a whole, is not only about colonialism, taking over the land and the resources of the land. It is also inherently uh, about exclusivity, about creating a place for us and only for us. So the UN partition plan was supposed to allocate uh, allocated certain land to the Palestinians, 700,000 of them, but the yeah. other part of the land uh, was for the 600,000 uh, ethnic Jews who were there, plus 500,000 Palestinians, so almost 50-50 in that so-called Jewish state. Yeah. That yeah. goes against everything that the Zionist state is about. So the very first thing that they needed to do, they needed to either committed genocide, which they couldn't. So they opted for the second best option as far as they were concerned, which was to ethnically cleanse the land as far as they could. And this is how the tragedy, the Palestinian tragedy, Palestinian tragedy was born by the Zionist demand to, to basically create a place that is exclusively their own and drive away by force the indigenous people from their land. Ever since they are denying those who have been ethnically cleansed from ever coming back and those who remained on their land, because not everyone was expelled, they are denied to this day equal standing. Later on also came the harsh and brutal military occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. But that's just on top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we have to remember that half of all Palestinians are refugees to this day. Most of them just across the border, in Jordan, in Lebanon, and Syria. Yeah. Even in Gaza, where the situation is unbearable, it is beyond any description, the vast majority are refugees. And when there was the march of return, when people simply demanded the right to return home and they were demonstrating in a nonviolent way, they were uh, targeted by the Israeli 
uh, forces uh, by snipers. And most of those who were murdered while demonstrating for the right to return home, uh, they were uh, about, again, 70% of all Gazans are refugees and about 70% of all those who were, who were killed during these demonstrations are indeed refugees from just across the fence, literally just across the fence, a few kilometers away from where they were killed. Yeah, this is this I, is like an un, an unbelievable tragedy that is ongoing, absolutely. ongoing. And when we talk about Gaza, it is just uh, beyond any description. Well, of course, Gaza is one of the most densely populated uh, places on Earth, and we know that the Israelis, you know, are continually bombarding it. And you know, during that that march of uh, return. I understand that the snipers were using exploding bullets as well. So anybody who was injured, shot in the leg, it was almost inevitable that they would have to have their legs amputated. I mean, this just is this is conscious cruelty of the most barbaric kind, isn't it? It is. It is. Look, I've been demonstrating a lot in the West Bank. I was denied entry to Gaza. We tried once to cross, symbolically cross, uh, marking the one-year anniversary to cast lead, and we were stopped uh, along on the beach. Uh, but uh, basically, in the West Bank, they have been trying pretty much every sort of what's called less than lethal uh, ammunition against mm -hmm. us. And I can list name all of these different things, types of uh, uh, tear gas canisters and, and sponge bullets and rubber coated yeah. and salt and whatever. You name mm -hmm. it, they tried it. In Gaza, they're trying the actual lethal weapons. And there is an excellent film, and I recommend it to the audience. It's called The Lab by an Israeli filmmaker and journalist called Yotam Feldman. The Lab shows how Israel is using Gaza as its laboratory to develop yeah. these weapons. Elbit systems that we are demonstrating against and uh, taking action against is literally, very literally, uh, developing its weapons uh, on top of a... Uh, of, uh, over Palestinian bodies, perfecting its weaponry and murder machines over Palestinian bodies. And I have all mm. the proof for that. They have even been flying these UAVs, these unmanned aerial vehicles. They have been flying yeah. them during the 51-day assault on Gaza in 2014, while the Israeli Air Force just sitting next to them were dropping the bombs. This is as yeah. far as, as criminal as Elbit is. It is actively... Uh, committing crimes against humanity, apartheid, and possibly genocide. And then they are marketing this to the rest of the world. When I mentioned Elbit, and when we talk about Gaza, we have to mention, we have to remember, because the vast majority are refugees from just across the fence, Yeah. the, 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 the ongoing Nakba cannot be demonstrated better than with the treatment of Gaza. Because mm -hmm. these people are there, to warehouse these these people who are basically surplus human beings are being warehoused in this Gaza Strip that was established in 1948, not in 1967, no. as a refugee camp, as a concentration camp, and it is maintained ever since in that condition and targeted and bombarded every so often in order to maintain the Nakba, in order uh, to because maintaining the Nakba, because maintaining them in this condition is the only way for the Zionist state to remain uh, a supremacist uh, race state. Yeah. Before I forget as well, uh, Ronnie, just going back to Germany briefly, um, you said that all the political parties, you know, took a, a firm line in support of Israel against Palestine. Did that include Die Linke as well? This, you know, the allegedly left-wing party. It did. Yes. I mean, what? 
As you may know, my main concern uh, and the main enemy of Palestinians are those speaking the liberal Zionist discourse. Yeah. Those yeah. because you have the honest Zionists, which are the acting government at the moment, and you also have the liberal Zionists, which yeah. are the ones who try to sugarcoat everything and cover everything in a, a peace or human rights discourse. Pretty much every article that you have may have read on Haaretz newspaper is news on Haaretz newspaper is an example for that. Yes, discourse yes, lies. In Germany, you have the Linke party, which represents that type of discourse, where some yeah. of them, not all, some of them are critical of the settlements and the occupation of 67, while at the same time, they go above and beyond to protect the race state within 48, what's called Israel proper. Now, yeah. uh, there were three motions, uh, there were three motions that were voted on in the Bundestag. There was in a competition between the different uh, political groups, there was the, the coalition. Die Linke wanted to join the coalition, but the coalition rejected them, so they came up with their own version. Right. The coalition motion, which actually was passed. There was the IFD, the far right, which were even more Zionist and more they were they thought that that any expression, any pro-Palestinian expression should be banned altogether. And then there was the Linke, which was pretty much saying the same thing, only in their own language. Mm -hmm. So yes. Every member of the Linke is an enemy of Palestinian rights, mm -hmm. and uh, and I am appalled to see some uh, Palestinians in Germany who are somehow affiliated with the Linke and their uh, and their um, uh, public relations wing, uh, Rosa Luxemburg uh, Foundation. So uh, yes, uh, this is it's no, an appalling uh, state of affairs. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. And just in terms of the far-right support for the Zionist project, that's kind of, in a way, history repeating itself because the Nazis uh, collaborated with the German Zionists and uh, Tony Greenstein has written a whole book about it and this is the thing that got Ken Livingston into trouble when he, he cited the Havara Agreement, the transfer agreement, transferring German yeah. Jews to, to uh, Palestine. Yeah. So it's interesting yeah. that the far right is supporting, and indeed, you know, we get the far right supporting uh, the Zionist project in this country as well. The likes of Tommy Robinson and, uh, and company, yes. you know, are, are very, yeah. very key supporters. Because, but, you know, just going back to going back to the UK, though, uh, uh, Ronnie. I mean, the UK continues to supply weapons to Israel, and the government's just signed a bilateral agreement with Israel. I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, the preamble to that agreement, our bilateral sort of roadmap, I think, to 2030, and he talks about. Um, Israel and, and, and the UK being, uh, quoting now what they said, freedom-loving, innovative and thriving democracies and says that Israel and the UK are firm friends and, and natural allies. Well, we certainly know that. But, but what do you say about this notion that somehow, uh, I mean, you've sort of touched on it already in a way, but I mean, uh, this assertion in that document that Israel is a freedom-loving, innovative, and thriving democracy. I mean, there's actually, you know, you could argue that, that Britain isn't even a freedom-loving, innovative, and thriving democracy, let alone Israel. But, but what do you say to that? How would you yeah. respond to that assertion? Yeah, so I would definitely question the democratic uh, character of uh, the British state. And I'm wearing this shirt, uh, Pass and Action, especially, obviously, in solidarity with the Palestinian people, but also in solidarity with our comrades who, uh, activists who have uh, been sentenced today and sent to prison. Uh, so I would like to express my solidarity with them. Um, yeah, I know. Actually, now, Ronnie, I, I thought the sentencing was in June. I, I think they're saying it's past the custodial. A threshold, but the sentencing, as I understand it, oh, no, I, I, I'm talking about another sentencing of uh, two oh, people. Oh, uh, yes, two people I, I, were sentenced. Yeah. We received oh, the news really? today. I, yes. 
Oh, really? Oh, right. I hadn't picked that up, Ronnie. Oh, dear me. That is. Yes, and I, I'm not yeah. familiar with the exact details, so I will just uh, express my solidarity right. with them. No, no, of course, of course, of course. And we, on now, Resistance TV, expresses our solidarity as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and look, about the, uh, <laughs> the level of democracy in the race state, uh, the Zionist race state, there is not an iota of democracy. Okay, the so-called Jewish and democratic state is just as democratic as the People's Rep uh, Democratic Republic of North Korea. The fact that they have democracy in their name does not mean that they have anything to do with democracy. Uh, it is Israel is based on the exact opposite of democratic values, as I mentioned before. And you have about 21 million people, one third of which are the privileged group that I belong to. And another two thirds are either uh, subjugated uh, second-class citizens or under military occupation or even denied from living on their land, from living in Palestine for one and yeah. only one reason, because they were born into the wrong ethnicity. Mm. Okay, these are the numbers. Uh, so there is, there is some sort of a democratic facade, a democratic game that is yeah. being played. And just as much as I, am, as I refuse to serve in the Israeli army, even more so, I refuse to participate in Israeli elections because yeah. the entire parliament in Israel is, is for one and only one purpose to maintain that uh, system of oppression and control. And by law, you cannot even run for elections if you demand the democratization of the place. You have, if you deny Israel as a quote unquote Jewish and democratic state, which is a euphemism for Zionist and apartheid, by law, you cannot even run for elections. So mm -hmm. this tells you the level of the denial of a democratic tendency within Israel itself. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously this is the situation. Now about a bilateral agreement with the UK, look, first of all, there's international law, which is very clear. And Israel is in clear violation of international law. And I mentioned before that apartheid and possibly genocide are not only violations of international law, they are uh, among the worst crimes in the law book. They are regarded, they are classified as crimes against humanity. Israel is also yeah. responsible for many, many other crimes. Okay, mm -hmm. but this means that the UK is obligated to not participate in that and not to lend it legitimacy, to actually to mm -hmm. stop it. Uh, by law, they are obligated to that. Now, when I was, uh, I spent uh, three months at the European Parliament at the time when the UK was still part of that parliament, yes. uh, part of Europe, I mean. Um, and uh, I was trying to push forward uh, simply uh, the, uh, the, the, the acknowledgement of Article 2 of the EU-Israel Association Agreement. Article 2 of the agreement, again, we're talking about bo boring legalistic uh, issues, but um, Article 2 of that agreement, which is basically a... Um, a business agreements between commerce, between Israel and, and the EU, it says that if there is a consistent human rights violation, which obviously there is in Israel, uh, then the European Parliament cannot carry on doing business as usual with Israel. They can freeze the agreement, they can take corrective measures, they can sanction. What they are not allowed to do is carry on with business as usual with Israel. But what every member state of the EU chooses to do is to look the other way and violate not only international law, but also their own European laws and their own 
sign document in order to protect Israel. So because yeah. the politicians are not doing what they're obligated to do, whether in the European Parliament, uh, EU states, or now uh, in the UK, uh, it is up to us, the people, and uh, to, to basically to, to enforce the law, nothing else, simply to demand the uh, yes, uh, that, that Israel uh, stops its violations of international law and respect yeah. basic human rights, basic human rights conventions, nothing more than that. Well, well, Ronnie, I mean, are Israel's days numbered that? I mean, two former prime ministers seem to think so, certainly from the statements that they made. I mean, uh, Ehud Barak has said that, uh, you know, the, the Zionist entity could disintegrate before the end of the decade and Naftali Bennett's warned that Israel's existence was it was in jeopardy. I'm sure you've, you've seen those quotes. And the former Israeli general uh, Yitzhak Brick has compared uh, Israel to the passengers on the doomed Titanic. So it looks like senior Zionist figures are sort of seeing the writing on the wall, notwithstanding the support that they are continuing to receive from the political class in the in the West, certainly. But as we've already said. Public opinion across the uh, the globe is increasingly supporting the Palestinian people, and the Palestinian resistance is increasingly effective. They're getting support from Iran, as we know. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think their days, uh, you know, the Zionist entity's days, are actually numbered? It would be difficult to you know to foretell the future, but. Uh, I think that there are many things happening under the surface. And what we are doing is just helping these things to build up. And in one way or another, this will erupt. Uh, and there, it is a clear case, as you mentioned here in the UK, that um, the sentiment on the street is very different than what the politicians do, whether it is the so-called left or the right in uh, the UK. And the same applies uh, to other countries. Now, I think that those statements from Israeli politicians are mostly concerned with the sentiment within Israel itself, because this, the society itself is so fragmented, because they represent these two types of Zionists, the honest Zionists and the so-called liberal Zionists, which are both supremacist and racist. Uh, they represent very different things within Israeli discourse, and one cannot uh, uh, coexist with the other. So they are fighting each other. Uh, and I think that this could lead to to other uh, other types of uh, possibly even a civil war. I don't know, like other types of of uh, events uh, that would eventually bring about the downfall of that race state. But the other things uh, that these Israeli politicians are concerned about is that they know how dependent Israel is on the rest of the world, financially yeah. and diplomatically. So yeah. without the full support that it gets from the U.S. and the EU, absolute support, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, in violation of the EU-Israel Association Agreement and on and on and on, without that full support, Israel could not carry on 75 years of crimes against humanity. Okay, mm -hmm. And I think that it only takes one Jeremy Corbyn or one such yes, country that will think differently, that will act differently, that yeah. will challenge this hegemony in order for the dominoes to start falling. Well, that's so, why, of course, the Israel lobby worked so hard to destroy the Corbyn yes. project and why the response of the Corbyn leadership was so pathetic, frankly, and, you know, just gave them ground. And, 
You know, yes, Jeremy should have fought back against them. It was pretty clear what they were doing. I mean, look, it was laid out in the Al Jazeera documentary uh, just a few months before the 2017 election. Jeremy made one statement about that in a tweet, as I understand it, before the uh, 2017 election. Diane Abbott, who was a shadow Home Secretary, made one statement, one statement only in the House of Commons. That was an absolute political scandal. And yet exactly. very little was said about it. And of course, I mean, I know a lot of people blame the second referendum, commitment to a second referendum on the EU. And that did obviously sink the, the Corbyn project in the end. But what really hold the Corbyn project below the waterline was the Zionist uh, lobby, was the Israel lobby, was the Israel state. I mean, Mark Regard and, and company, they, they had the express yeah. purpose of, of destroying yeah. Corbyn. Because as you say, it only takes one Corbyn to really upset the, the apple cart. But just finally, uh, Ronnie, if I could just uh, ask you in conclusion, and I mean, what do you think to the way in which the, the corporate media covers Palestine? And, and how do you account for the increasing support for the public uh, for Palestine when the corporate media serves up this daily diet of pro-Israel propaganda? I mean, it's quite astonishing, isn't it, really, that there is so I much mean, support and it's growing all the time. And yet the corporate media you know, is, is constantly serving up this, 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 this propaganda. So, I mean, you know, what do you make of their coverage and how do you account for that sort of, you know, that dichotomy between what the media is saying, you know, ubiquitously and the view of the general public is, is not kind of swallowing it anymore? Yeah, so we basically go full, full circle here because, um, yes, uh, the, the corporate media and even some of the so-called progressive outlets – uh, are far from being progressive, and maybe they're progressive about other things, but not about Palestine. Uh, and they would discuss everything uh, relating to Palestine other than the main issues, other than the real issues. And I mentioned that the real issues are acknowledging that, first of all, there is no in Israel and Palestine, as if these are two separate entities. Israel is quite literally built on top of Palestine and at the expense of the Palestinian people. And there is a whole system of oppression and domination and terror that needs to be dismantled. And I can give you, you know, and we can have a whole talk about that, what that entails. Yeah. But, but that system of oppression, you know, has a very uh, uh, thin layer of supposed normality and supposed democracy and so on. And the entire media is focusing on that very thin layer. Which is which is yeah. an act of propaganda, which is an act of propaganda to focus on that very thin layer rather than talking about what really this is all about the fact that we are now marking 75 years to the Nakba, the fact that uh, the new Israeli government is exposing itself for what it really is, and the fact that the fact is basically that people around the world are not buying it any longer. No. They have been duped for quite a while. Why do you think that is so? Uh, because oh. as we've said, you know, they've got the ubiquitous propaganda. Why are the public not buying it anymore? What, what, what's, what's changed? Because people did used to buy it, but they're not buying it now. What, I think what, that what because discourse is changing. You see, the new government in Israel does not represent something that is fundamentally different than any other government, other than one thing. And when I say the new government, I'm also talking about the previous uh, uh, few governments. Uh, the one thing that is changing is the discourse, or the. it's not even the discourse, it's that they are not even somewhat apologetic about their racism. They're right in your face with their racism, yeah. supremacy, and fascism. 
they, with their hatred towards Palestinians and their hatred towards anything uh, that we would regard as a democratic, uh, you know, sentiment and respect uh, yeah. for for yeah. minorities. So when they are so uh, brazen and, and explicit in their racism, I think that this opens the eyes for some people. There are two events that that kind of mark a change in public perception. One is whenever Israel uh, bombs the hell out of Gaza. And this happened, this clearly happened in 2008-9 and in 2014. I know that many people, many wonderful activists were basically forced, they could not comfortably sit in their armchair any longer. They felt a need to take action, to, or at the very least to look it up and to realize what this is all about because they understood that something is desperately wrong here. So yeah. this is one thing that that encourages people into action. And the other thing is when they want to believe Israel, they want to believe that there is some sense of normality and some sense of legitimacy in all of this. And then they see these statements from from Israeli politicians and and they just, you know, it does just it doesn't sit well together. It yeah. means that there is something fundamentally wrong here with the, yeah. with Israel as a whole. And I think that people are starting to to understand that. Um I'd like to mention here that there have been quite a few reports on Israeli apartheid published over the past decade or so. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they are very different from each other. Even those human rights organizations, supposedly progressive, supposedly even pro-Palestinian, some of them are parroting the discourse of lies. I will mention, for example, the Human Rights Watch report, which oh, yeah. even the title of it is called A Threshold Crossed. Yeah. And they are pretty much erasing of the face of the earth the seven million Palestinians who are in forced exile, who are in, who are in the diaspora for the past seven decades. Yeah. So, so they have done the research. To, I'll give them credit where credit is, is due. They have done the research. If you read yeah. uh, that report bottom to top, you will get a good sense of what is happening. But their statements are as if there are no Palestinian refugees yeah. in uh, the diaspora. Yeah, they, and, yeah. and, and we have to be very critical even also of these such organizations. And I would go back to the question of whether we are talking about that occupation of 67 or the occupation of 48, along with everything that it entails. Are we talking about yeah. only a limited number of Palestinians who are on that territory? Or are we talking about everyone, including those who are in forced exile? Are we talking about the policies of the state or are we talking about the very character of that state? These are the questions that we should be asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, Ronnie, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on and sparing the time. I know you've only just returned to the country, so we, we really appreciate you taking the time out to, to come and speak to us this evening about such a really important issue. And, and obviously your insight is, you know, is invaluable. So thank you very much in, indeed for that. Uh, Ronnie, how can people follow you on social media or any, uh, any other uh, of your outlets, uh, you know, the work that you do? How can people you know, follow what you're up to? Yeah, so so I've got the Twitter account that I think is on the screen, Ronnie underscore Barkan. There's Facebook, BDS Barkan, and I think I'll start using Instagram. I don't like it, but I think I'll be forced to do that. <laughs> I don't That's use it. I, don't, I, can't, I, I, I can't get on with it for some right. It means I need to younger like brain it at all. <laughs> it must be our age, Ronnie. Listen, thanks again, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We'll be back next week, hopefully, at the same time, 7 o'clock on Mrs. TV. So until then, this is Chris Oops saying bye for now. Cheers. Thank you.